Hello everyone, I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith, coming to you from Colorado Springs. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Warren and I bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, our ongoing investigation of the Bible Translation Organization, Wycliffe Associates continues. Also on today's program, Liberty University makes significant cuts to its philosophy department. Is it a sign of things to come? Plus, the people who give out journalism's top award, the Pulitzer Prize, has recognized religion coverage. We begin today with a story of a death of yet another megachurch pastor by his own hand. Yeah, it's Darren Patrick, a megachurch pastor, author, and speaker. Uh, He has passed away. Patrick was a teaching pastor at Seacoast Church, a multi-site megachurch based in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, and he was the founding pastor of the Journey Church in St. Louis, which is where he lived. Patrick's unexpected death of a self-inflicted gunshot wound came as a shock to friends and colleagues. Darren Patrick has been a rising star among Reformed evangelical circles. Not only was he the pastor of a large and rapidly growing church, he was the vice president of Acts 29, a nationally known church planting network. But all of that came skidding to a halt a few years ago when he was fired from Journey Church, the church that he founded, for abuse of power and having inappropriate meetings and phone calls with women in his congregation. But Darren Patrick had made a comeback. Yeah, that's right. Usually when a pastor gets involved in a scandal of this kind, one of two things happen. Either they leave ministry altogether, or they just lay low for a while and then pop back up again somewhere else. But Darren Patrick took a different path, a path of repentance and restoration. Yeah, Patrick admitted his faults and he got counseling. He went through a restoration process that lasted more than two years, 26 months, and he returned to the ministry as a teaching pastor and not as the senior pastor of a church. So he was under authority. And you don't generally uh, see guys bounce back like that. So what happened? Well, unfortunately, we don't know because uh, by all indications, he was kind of, you know, back into a normal swing of things. Uh, He's not, of course, the first high-profile pastor to take his own life. Jared Wilson, a pastor and mental health advocate, took his own life last year. And a couple of months ago, we reported on the murder-suicide of a pastor in the Houston area. So is this problem becoming worse or are we just hearing about it more? Well, that's a hard question to answer, Natasha. Studies show that people who are involved in church communities have significantly lower rates of suicide than those who do not. Uh, But there's no doubt that suicides, as well as drug overdoses and what social scientists are now calling deaths of despair, are on the rise in this country. In 2017, the latest year for which we have reliable data, suicide claimed more than 40 7,000 lives. It was the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S., and the age group that it hit the hardest was a middle-aged white man. And that certainly describes Darren Patrick. 
Yeah, and in Darren's case, and in the case of Jared Wilson, there was also the additional stress of their celebrity status. Uh, Darren Patrick said recently that being part of a group of young pastors who had become celebrities with book deals, speaking gigs, fame, and the money that went along with that was, in his words, a recipe for disaster. Darren Patrick said that his early success led to an obsession with keeping up his image rather than caring for his soul. These are his words. I was spending a lot of energy creating and sustaining my image. He also said that he came to believe that the secret to his successful ministry was not personal holiness or spiritual maturity, but a social media presence and speaking at conferences. Um, If you'd have asked him, of course, he wouldn't have said he believed those things at the time, but he said later that was precisely the way he was behaving. So what are the lessons here for the rest of us? Well, I hate to reduce a man's life to an object lesson, so I would say that first and foremost, we need to pray for Darren Patrick's wife, Amy, and his children. I think the key lesson for us to learn here is that they're human beings and there are consequences to their deaths in the lives of the people closest to them. I would also say that those in the church are not immune to mental health problems. Yes, We preach and believe that Jesus saves, he delivers, and he transforms, but we live in a broken world, and we're broken people, every single one of us. We should be reaching out to people who we think might be exhibiting mental health issues, and if that person is you, please know that no matter how bad things are, suicide is never the right answer. Warren, we've got to take a break, but before we go, anything else to add to the story? Well, I want to mention uh, that you can read more about Darren Patrick and some of the mental health issues that we've discussed at the Ministry Watch website, ministrywatch.com. And I also want to mention here that there is a suicide prevention hotline that anyone listening can call. It's 1-800-273-TALK. 800-273-TALK. Thank you for that. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Weekly Podcast. Up next, Ministry Watch's ongoing investigation into Wycliffe Associates. Yeah, we've been reporting on this Bible translation organization, Wycliffe Associates, for a couple of months now. Uh, They first came to our attention when they resigned their membership in the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, the ECFA. 
That's right. And every time we report on them, we always get lots of emails asking if they are related to Wycliffe Bible translators. And the answer is, they are not. Yeah, that's right. Wycliffe Associates is a separate organization, but they are both large organizations involved in Bible translation around the world. But Wycliffe Associates says its massed Bible translation process can produce a New Testament translation in just a matter of weeks. And that's a remarkable claim because it normally takes years and even decades to produce an accurate Bible translation. Yeah, it does. And though there are more than 100 other Bible translation organizations in the world, none of them make the kinds of claims that Wycliffe Associates has been making. So are these claims true? Well, a growing number of people are saying that they are not or that the claims are at least, at a minimum, overstated. We interviewed some of them for our story and a study paid for by the McClellan Foundation, a very highly respected Christian foundation, found that those claims were, in fact, overstated. Also, the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability began investigating them. Wycliffe Associates then, as I said earlier, resigned from the ECFA rather than to let that investigation continue. Warren, one of the aspects of your story I found particularly interesting was your explanation of the Bible translation process and the fact that Bible translation has become almost an industry. Yeah, uh, you know, I said that there were more than 100 Bible translation organizations in the world. Actually, that number is probably closer to 200 um, that fall under a couple of different umbrella organizations. One is the Wycliffe Global Alliance, and the other is an organization called Every Tribe, Every Nation. It's hard to know precisely how much money goes into these organizations because some of them are, in fact, pretty secretive. They're working in closed parts of the world, so you might be able to understand why. But as Near as I can tell, uh, the number of dollars going into these organizations approaches $300 million every single year being spent on Bible translation. That's a huge amount of money. And what are donors getting for all that money? Well, that's another really good question, Natasha. Let's take Wycliffe Associates as one example. They take in about $60 million a year, and they claim to produce Bible translations in a matter of weeks. They further claim that they have about 1,300 Bible translations in progress. Now, Natasha, I don't want to turn this program into a math lesson, but that math just doesn't add up. There are only about 7,000 languages on the planet, and 3,500 of them already have have Bible translations. If what Wycliffe Associates and the other Bible translation organizations are saying is true, this job should be over within the next couple of years. But the numbers never seem to change, while promises and the dollars just keep piling up. Warren, thank you for sharing about that. Now, shifting gears just uh, for a moment, there's an update to the ongoing coverage of Liberty University on the Ministry Watch website this week. Yeah, Liberty University is another story like Wycliffe Associates that we've been following for a while. And it came to our attention uh, last week from philosophy professor Mark Foreman uh, that Liberty was either shutting down completely or significantly reducing the size of its philosophy department. This is what he wrote. Liberty University has chosen to completely dissolve the philosophy department. As of June 30th, Mark Foreman wrote, I am unemployed. That sounds like big news. What else can you tell us? 
Well, first of all, I should say that Liberty itself hasn't confirmed that they're completely shutting down the department, and other news seems to be trickling out that they're going to reassign uh, some of the philosophy professors in other departments. But I should say that Liberty's philosophy department has seven faculty members, including Gary Habermas, who is one of the best-known Christian apologists in the nation. And by the way, Habermas is 69 years old, so it's kind of unlikely that he's going to be you know, traveling around the country looking for another job. And uh, he also probably doesn't have much of a retirement system because uh, they don't have any sort of a retirement program at Liberty. They also don't have a tenure system. Again, I want to repeat, the university has not confirmed that the entire department has been cut, but... Uh, if it is being cut, it sort of follows in the path of some other cuts that the university has been making. For example, last June, about a dozen faculty members at Liberty's Rawlings School of Divinity did not have their contracts renewed. Liberty's story has been one of uninterrupted growth for so long. Does this news mean that it's coming to an end? Well, according to Inside Higher Ed, the cuts at the School of Divinity were the consequence of falling enrollment in Liberty's Divinity programs. Uh, Liberty School of Divinity had been popular with full-time pastors and others who wanted advanced degrees that they could get from home. It was mostly a distance learning program, and Liberty had been an early adopter of online education, and they reaped huge benefits from being among the first. In fact, by 2013, Liberty had more than 100,000 students in its online program, and its divinity program was one of its largest. But since then, enrollment has either been flat or has fallen in most of Liberty's programs. Inside Higher Ed also said that freshman applications to study at Liberty's campus uh, had plunged in 2016. Uh, enrollment across the university's online offerings had fallen about 10% between 2014 and 2018. Does that mean that Liberty is struggling financially? Well, far from it, as a matter of fact. Once again, quoting Inside Higher Ed, a trade publication, Liberty has remained massively profitable, increasing its net assets by more than $950 million uh, during that same period of time, from 2014 to 2018, while never making less than $188 million in any given year. In fact, in fiscal 2019, Liberty made more than $200 million. Well, that sounds quite healthy. Yeah, it does sound healthy. So healthy, in fact, that when Liberty announced very minimal refunds to students that it had sent home because of the coronavirus, a number of parents got together and sued the university. They say that Liberty should refund food and housing fees, obviously, since students are no longer living on campus or eating in the dining halls. Uh, all of this financial success also makes the termination of faculty members, especially on such short notice all the more frustrating to men like Mark Foreman and the others who were terminated in the philosophy department. In fact, Foreman said, we had no notice that this was coming. We all got letters telling us that we were non-renewed just within the last couple of days. There's no retirement program. I don't have any plans. I'm still reeling from the news. Now, Warren, we have to take another break, but when we return, religion writers are finally getting the credit that they deserve, including designation as a Pulitzer Prize finalist. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. 
Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. The religion editor and two staff members at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette are among finalists for the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for local reporting of a series of articles investigating alleged child sexual abuse and cover-ups in the Amish and Mennonite communities. Yeah, Peter Smith took the award along with staff photographer uh, Stephanie Strasberg and former reporter Shelley Bradbury, who has since moved on to the Denver Post. It was for a series of stories that ran from May until December of 2019. Smith is also the current president, I should add, of the Religion News Association, a professional association for journalists who cover religion in the secular and non-sectarian media. So not only was being named a Pulitzer finalist an honor for Peter Smith and his team, but also for all of us who cover religion. Yeah, you're exactly right, Natasha. In fact, Peter Smith was interviewed about being named a finalist, and he said this, religion journalism is vital, just as local journalism is vital, and both were central here. And by here, he meant in the stories that he wrote for um, the Post-Gazette. Smith, Strasburg, and Bradbury also were part of a Post-Gazette team that won the 2019 Pulitzer Prize for breaking news coverage of the Tree of Life synagogue massacre, and Smith led the newspaper's 2018 coverage of a Pennsylvania grand jury report on 70 years of child sexual abuse by a Catholic priest. And by the way, the Pulitzer Prize for local reporting for 2020 went to the staff of the Baltimore Sun for its reporting on the financial relationship between the city's mayor and the public hospital system that she helped to oversee. Warren, I understand that you also have news about Ravi Zacharias. Yeah, Ravi Zacharias, the famed Christian apologist and author, may be nearing the final days of his earthly journey. His daughter, Sarah Davis, shared in an update last Friday with the global staff of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries that Ravi's cancer had worsened despite extensive chemotherapy. This is what Sarah Davis said. She said, his oncologist informed us that his cancer is very rare in its aggression and that no options for further treatment remain. Medically speaking, they've done all that they are able. Now, uh, Davis is also the CEO of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, and she said that the Zacharias family is gathering in Atlanta to be together for 
what she calls whatever time the Lord uh, gives us. Uh, After many weeks of separation, our family is anxious to spend time together. But she also said to the staff of the Robbie Zacharias International Ministries, you are also our family. We love you and are grateful to share these thin places with you. Thank you for what each of you do to faithfully support my dad's work and calling and to advance the cause of evangelism around the world. I understand that the news has unleashed a flood of support for Ravi. Yeah, many have taken to Twitter since the news broke, and they've been using the hashtag Thank You Ravi to express gratitude for his ministry. Uh, here's one, for example, from apologist Lee Strobel. Through the years, Ravi Zacharias has been a role model on how to powerfully and persuasively defend the gospel while being gentle and winsome. He goes on to say, I've always appreciated his personal warmth when we've partnered. Ravi, I love who you are and what you've done. Zacharias has battled several health issues in recent months, including emergency back surgery and cancer at the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. Yeah, uh, they follow 48 years of ministry during which Zacharias has traveled to more than 70 countries as an international speaker and has written or edited more than 25 books on apologetics and theology. And Natasha, if I might uh, interject a personal word here, I've known Ravi myself for probably 10 years. Uh, A couple of months ago, he was in Charlotte, where I live, uh, to speak at the funeral of our mutual friend, Norman Geisler, and I got to spend some time with him then. And I got to tell you, he looked really healthy. He had just gotten off a plane uh, from um, the Far East. He'd been on a plane for 20 hours and uh, was uh, literally whisked to the church and stood up and spoke uh, very powerfully uh, for about 30 minutes at Norman Geisler's funeral. So uh, this is a a shock to many of us who know him, and uh, so we just wish him and pray for peace for him and his family during these final days. I should also mention kind of in closing that um, Ravi's um, ministry, uh, RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, and the Zacharias Institute will continue. In fact, in 2017, uh, they just opened a large new apologetics training center, and um, so the work will go on. Warren, we always try to end the show on a positive note. And with all the troubles and scandals in the world, it's important to remember that God is at work and so are his people. Yeah, that's right. And today I'd like to mention the work of Mission Eurasia. You know, as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to impact lives all over the globe, Eurasia President Sergei Rakuba uh, decided the best way to respond to the crisis in the post-Soviet region was simple, through the doubling down of the efforts that they've already been engaged in there, which is to get the gospel message into the hands of every soul God places in our path. Uh, In the wake of the pandemic, the organization has released one million copies of a prayer guide, which is entitled Molot Voslov, to help equip churches in Eurasia for ministry. Now, the organization trains, equips, and mobilizes the next generation of Christian leaders in the 13 former Soviet countries, as well as to Russian-speaking people who have fled to Israel. Mission Eurasia also released about 100,000 copies of the Gospel of John. The prayer guides contain scripture references on topics such as forgiveness of sin, protection against the virus, peace amid crisis, and a lot more. Similar prayer guides have been effective in the past in places like eastern Ukraine, which has been embroiled for years in conflict with Russia. 
Mission Eurasia's field ministries is based in Kiev, Ukraine. Yeah, Mission Eurasia was formerly called Russian Ministries, and it was founded in 1991, just after the collapse of the Soviet Union. The ministry is designed to react quickly and decisively to new opportunities for evangelism and church planting in the former uh, Soviet region. Uh, Today, Mission Eurasia and Mission Eurasia Field Ministries works in 13 former Soviet countries. Now they're called Eurasia and Israel to equip, train, and mobilize Christian leaders. If you'd like to read more about the stories that we discussed on today's program, just go to ministrywatch.com and you'll find them right on the front page. Now, if you'd like to dig around into the Ministry Watch archives of hundreds of articles and other great resources, use the search engine, which is also on the front page, to find what you're looking for. Yeah. Also, before we go, I want to thank those of you who made a gift to Ministry Watch on Giving Tuesday now last week. And I have a special announcement to make. If you make a gift of any size to Ministry Watch between now and the end of May, uh, we'll send you a free copy of a book that I wrote with John Stone Street. It's called Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. It's full of great stories like the one that we just highlighted on Mission Eurasia of God's people doing God's work in a beautiful but broken world. And this podcast, I should mention, also continues to grow. If you're one of our new listeners, welcome. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll be with us each and every week, and I also hope you'll tell a friend. And don't forget to rate us on your podcast app. It's absolutely free. It doesn't take but a few seconds to rate us, and it really helps us a lot. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DuBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Christina Darnell, Ann Stike, Sean Hendricks, and Warren Smith. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. May God bless you.